a world filled with fast-paced living and constant demands on the aging body, it's easy to forget some of the simplest yet most essential elements of our well-being, hydration and nutrients. As you know, when I'm not in the studio recording a podcast or in the gym or out in the scrub hunting, putting rounds downrange, I'm somewhere in the world on a security gig, putting in the hard yards, ending up on TikTok. So legends that get some, keep me advancing forward, Jocko Fuel Supplements. More specifically, I've been smashing the Jocko Hydrate Sachets, which helps me replenish my electrolytes and other critical vitamins while boosting energy and supporting recovery. Also, just like my kids, my appetite for veggies goes as far as hot chips from the kernel. However, every morning I'll mix a scoop of Jocko Greens, Jocko Creatine into water, which helps me supplement my lack of and delivers all the nutrients for better gut health, immune support, cognitive function, and physical performance. And not to mention, tastes bloody good. So head over to www.getsome.com.au and use the code Zero Limits all in caps for a discount. I'll leave you with this for the day. Hard work, clean fuel, stronger, faster, smarter, better. Let's go. You're listening to a Zero Limits podcast brought to you by Ironlead Cartel for all your fitness and streetwear apparel and health supplements. Hosted by Australian veterans, Matt and Shane, we're here to give you the motivation for you to complete any goal you set your mind to. On these podcasts, we're going to be speaking to high-charging people with the Zero Limit mindset that never say no. Let's go. All right, listeners, uh, on today's Zero Limits podcast, we chat to a, a good old friend of mine. Um, we served together, I would say served, we worked together at Australian embassy contract in uh, Baghdad doing uh, private security for the government diplomats. And uh, his name is Adnan Nazar. He was um, in the Royal Army uh, as a combat medic. He joined early uh, 1990s, uh, 94 to be exact, and got a few postings around Germany, Brunei, and he did a fair bit of, fair bit of shit. Reading his resume and he's been all over the world. Doing, doing the stuff he loves, which is fixing and stitching people up. Yeah, and, and you know, he did a bit of time in Bosnia, Kosovo, and then uh, straight to uh, Iraq, 2003, for a couple of tours. Yeah. And then 2004, he gets out and uh, gets into the PSD world, and it's been there, you know, essentially he's almost Since spent 20, you know, half say 18 off. years in, in Iraq, which is pretty, pretty left, crazy. Left Iraq in um, 19. Yeah, yeah, and so let's just get him on. Happy days. Awesome. Guys, on uh, today's Zero Limits podcast, we are chatting to a, a very good friend of mine, another one uh, connected with uh, Bri Hewitt, which was uh, episode uh, something, I wanna, I wanna six, eight. seven, eight. Say eight yeah. um, his name is uh, Adnan Nazar. He was one of our uh, medics at the Australian Embassy uh, during our uh, private security detail work. Prior to that, he was you know in the UK military, yeah, and then got out early two thousands and got straight into the PSD world and has been in it ever since. Yeah, and uh, I'm really looking forward to this one because Naz is a, a medic and he's one of the best medics I've ever met in my life. Again, if you were to lose your legs or lose whatever, both he's hands, he, both he's legs. the guy you want right next to you. And um, I'm also excited because we have never chatted to someone about the Bosnia and Kosovo war. Yeah, and Naz has been there. Yes, and yeah, he has. Yes, yeah. he's been, he's been around the world and smoked a lot of cigarettes in every part of the world. Oh, so yeah. uh, anyway, <laughs> let's get let's get him on. Naz. Naz, hey brother, how's it going, guys? All right, very well, brother, very well, mate. It's good to again have you on. I know you were a bit uh, standoffish because you think that no one's going to you know get into your story, but I'll tell you what, you've got you've got a story. 
the majority of our listeners are people in the Australian Defence Force who haven't gone outside the country. So obviously there are there are some that have, but there are others that are listened to. To me as well, you know, it would be awesome to hear this. So. Yeah, especially the, the uh, Kosovo commercial. War for yeah, me, the Kosovo side of things, but also the commercial side of things, which is an unknown thing for a lot of guys, you know, um, in the Defence Forces really, unless you get out and go over there. Yeah. You, you wouldn't know, um, you know, what it's all about. We can't really talk about what you're doing right now. Obviously, you're in a location now. Let's just say it's it's in some part of the world, and it's not a good part of the world. Or actually, it's not a bad part of the world. I've been there. It's a nice place. You talking about Southampton? <laughs> Southampton. <laughs> but the place that you're going to is not a very nice place. Yeah, that does. So let's just get started, it's, mate. It's not Caligouli, guys. Caligouli. Caligouli. Let's uh, let's just get started and uh, let's start. You know, where did you grow up? Right. Well, um, I was born in the UK in uh, a little place called Oswestry, which was uh, England, um, reluctantly to admit that. But um, I'm Welsh, straight across back into Wales, um, and that was uh, in the 70s. So 70s baby yeah. in the Wales, uh, Asian descent, growing up in a little Welsh village. Yeah, right. <laughs> where, where did your parents? Interesting your, time. Your parents were immigrants. Where did they come from? Yeah, my, my family emigrated to the UK in 1930 before the partition, which was then India. So they fled in, in 1930, um, and my family moved about 47, 1947. Yeah, and, right. And uh, of all the places, they found a little sleepy village in Wales, as you do. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, Matt's also Asian. Yeah, I'm also Asian, so I understand. Yeah, but it, it, he's, he's also the tallest Asian I've ever met. <laughs> yeah. So is his brother. His brother's brother's a fucking unit. <laughs> so um, yeah, no. where, where did you go to school and how, how did you do? So, well, I, I think I went down the same route as most of the, the, the military brothers is um, – all I cared about when I was in school was was football and girls, and <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it 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 wasn't until it was up against the the wire a little bit too late that I realised, hang on, I better sort myself out here and uh, <laughs> pick pick a decent career. Um, my grandfather was a doctor. I had some friends who had looked into the army and were looking at joining the army. A couple of looking at the Royal Marines. Um, a couple of them went into the, the parachute regiment. I was always a you know a, a fit young guy. Um, however, I always had a, a thing for medicine, and I spotted something that was uh, the Royal Army Medical Corps. Yep. And there was a profession going as a combat medic. And for most of the roles, I think it might be the same back home in those days. You had to go and and sit an aptitude test. And I was fortunate enough to to land the job I wanted. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't allowed to enter the first time because. Um, they said I was a bit underweight, so they said, go away, you know, drink some Guinness, eat some steak, and, and come back when you put on a little bit of weight, which I did, you know, yeah. quite willingly. Yeah, right. And I went back, and, um, yeah, rest is history. Yeah, right. How um, old were you, Naz? Yeah. When you joined? That was 1994. I was, I was, I was, I was 18. Oh, yeah. 18. Awesome. Good age, good age. How heavy were you? What was your weight? 10 stone. I was about four pound two ounces when I was born, Matt. I've grown a lot. Since. <laughs> he wasn't ten stone coming out the womb. <laughs> you, you would have been a skinny little boy like me. Yeah, I yeah. was. I, I was, you know, I was um, skinny, tan you know, skin, handsome. Just, yeah, just a head on a toothpick. You know, it was upside down golf club. <laughs> well, I don't know if you have them back there, but you know, I look more like a pepperami than a soldier. Yeah, right. So uh, 1994, you joined up, and then um, that's right. 
how was your medic training? Like, did you did you have any background? Like, obviously, you know what? I'll be honest, guys. I wasn't a soldier. Everybody else in my intake had either been to cadets, yep, had family in the mill, and the only thing I had good for me was I could run like the wind. You know, yeah, yeah. I I, I, I didn't know about drill. I didn't know about this, and you know. I had to learn fast and those sort of things. I, I'd say I was a bit of a slow learner, but once, once I started, you know, I was, I was okay, but fitness got me through basic training and a, and a sense of humor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And, um, how was, uh, training back then? Obviously again, being a, a, a guy of color, it was, yeah, uh, it was one of those times. It, it, um, it was interesting times. You couldn't get away with a lot of it, you know, now every day in the, in, in the, in the cookhouse, before my meal, I had to stand on a chair and shout Mujahideen. <laughs> That's one of the best stories I've ever heard in my life. You can't, you can't, and the, and the bosses would look at me, the, the section corporals, the guy who'd take me through basic, and he'd just give you a wink. <laughs> go on, up you go. And if you didn't do it that day, you, you know it wasn't going to be a good day. Yeah, right. So you just. And so you just, you took it on the chin, stood on my chair, I gave my death cry. <laughs> Luckily, I didn't get slotted. Can you give us a demo? <laughs> not just not just now. It's early here, guys. Yeah, they'll think the villa's been overrun. <laughs> yeah, it's probably not the best place in the world to scream Mujahideen. <laughs> not just now. Um, yeah, right. So um, you get so, through. Yeah, you get through the basic so training. That, yeah, then you go off to do your trade training. Then, which is um, back then, it was held at a place called uh, Keo Barracks, which was just for army medics my course was the last one to be run as purely for the for the army and then it later became dmstc which is defense school medical training which they started to run medics through there then from the raf navy and army so things changed the year after you know i I went through so how how did you find medical training did you yeah it was good i enjoyed it What, what, what yeah it was it was good. I, I enjoyed it. I think we sh- should have had more possibly training back then, but you know, it's evolving all the time and it, and it has got better and, and a lot better. Um, but it was just the people you met through basic training and the people you met on, you know, who were joining just like you, you know, it was the, your best friends who are still your best friends, you know, um, that's what made it, made it good. And that was, I think it was about six weeks to eight weeks of, of, of medical training phase one, you know, um, and a few interesting things happened there, which later got me a posting of my choice, Yep, which was the first one was to Germany, you know? Um, awesome. So that was it in 1994. Yeah. How long, how long was the whole medical, uh, training process? Like the first, the first one, they used to do it in three phases back then. Um, so you, you do your, your, your class three, or your phase three training, you or you'd go off, and that, that was an introduction to medicine, you know, um, anatomy and physiology, all that sort of the basic stuff. Yeah, uh, basic treatments, and then once you'd completed that phase, you would go to your first initial posting. You'd go to your regiment. Yep. Um. Once once that was completed, and you'd had a bit of time served in the regiment, gained a bit of experience. About a year to eighteen months later, depending on who you are and where you are. You would go back to complete phase two, which would be another six to eight weeks, I believe. And then another 18 months later, you'd go back and finish off your class one, which would be as high as you're going to go as a combat medic, CMT1, yeah, gotcha. which was the class one medic. 
Yeah, right. And then um, from there you get posted to a battalion or is it? Yeah, so I, I went to a medical regiment in Germany in 1994 and, you know, interesting times. Um, old school boys, mm. you know, pretty hardcore, but intimidating getting there, you know. What sort of business? What sort of business did the uh, the Royal, sorry, the Royal Navy, the uh, the British Army have in uh, Germany? Like the same setup. It, 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 it always had bases there okay. since since the war, okay. so they'd maintained a presence. Don't don't mention um, the war. They, so it was from the uh, <laughs> from 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 I think you know from about nineteen. I think it was. The, I'm not too sure when when the bases were established. I think it was about yeah. nineteen forty. Yeah. You know, yeah, gotcha. that, that was the, the start of it. And how long did you spend um, there? I spent three years in Germany. Holy shit! Mark, can you can you speak German? I, I, I could get by, Matt. I could order some chips, a large portion. <laughs> a large portion? <laughs> I have a large portion of chips. Give us a demo. A large portion of chips and a large beer. Yeah, right. Unfortunately, I didn't embrace the language like we should have done. You know, we didn't leave the camp too often. We had everything we needed there. Occasionally, yeah. we punch out on, on some good trips. Yeah, but again, me. you're a young thruster, and <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. Uh, Embrace it like I should have looking back, language-wise. <laughs> yeah, right. So you spend the, the you know two three years in Germany just training and doing the you know regular yeah, just exercises, yeah. and you know it was my first posting. So you you know your information overload, and you know you you're trying to learn from your your peers. Um, but again, you know the the mad thing about Germany when I first got there was it was some old school, some rough old boys there, you know, and you're like. Yeah. <laughs> what what have I done? <laughs> how far how far is the uh, the train ride or a bus bus ride back home? A few hours? I think you you, you could do it. No, some people would go by road, but you yeah. could you know you probably do it in about ten hours, ten eleven hours. Okay, right, yeah, right. Not but we normally fly back. But you know, when you're a young lad, you, you tended to go and stay within Europe, you know, on a, on a holiday or something. Like yeah, that. yeah, I don't yeah, know right. That. So and then um, nineteen ninety six Bosnia, boom. Yeah, so, yeah, we went to Bosnia. And again, you know, um, as we were chatting earlier, the the first lot of people went in there was 1994, you know, and that's when they were there. And a lot more was going on there. You know, it was a lot of uh, mass graves and and things like that. that Yeah. There was so much conflict, though. That was a UN tour. And because I was so young and I'd just arrived, I'd missed missed that tour. They'd already deployed at my first posting. Um, And they... I would say had seen the brunt of it, you know, um, in in Bosnia. When I went, mine was more of a peacekeeping tour. So for me, it was you know a case just meeting the people, um, and they were just starting to to recover. You know, the, the economy was was just starting to get up and going. But for me, it was a peacekeeping tour. So there was no um, hostility shown towards us at all. Yeah, right. And how long were you there for? I did six months there. Yeah, right. And then it was. Then it was back to back to the uh, UK. Um, I, I started a posting in the UK at that time, uh, up north. And then about a year later, I think two years later, in 1999, was Kosovo. And again, another one which was a peacekeeping tour. Yeah, gotcha. So throughout both of those tours, how, you know, how much medical stuff did you end up doing, like combat medic stuff, as in patching up civvies? I'll be, or- I'll be absolutely honest, guys. On those two, was was very little. Yeah, was very little. Yeah, right. Um, it was it was for any that we were attached to a hospital as primary healthcare. Um, I think I received more medical incidents than anybody else. I, I think I broke my arm playing bingo. <laughs> um, 
other, other than that, there wasn't a, wasn't an awful lot going on there. Yeah. Um, which I'm glad of, you know, I think people must've been just saving it up for later on in my career, but you know, I'm, I'm glad that it, it was a quiet time. Um, but again, it was a later on stage that it was just peacekeeping and the countries were just getting back on their feet. Yeah. So out of the whole, say, uh, British military, was, was there many deployments to Bosnia and Kosovo? Like, was there many guys was, getting trips? I think Bosnia was from 94 to about 97, 8. There was a presence. Um, and Kosovo, I believe, ran maybe a couple of years after 2000, after the millennium. And yep. there was a, a slight presence there. But again, those, it was a peacekeeping rule for most of that. Um, yeah, okay. I only went to each of those locations once. And then after that, um, as you know, it was, it was Telic 1 which was the Middle East. Yeah, so you get back um, from Kosovo, say, what, late 1999, uh, and then you're getting ready for uh, – Mid-2000, I think it was March 2000. Oh, well, you, well you were over there but, for the for Y2K. Yeah. No, no, I, I managed – I got home to the UK. I gave my chief clerk, I managed to acquire a bottle of brandy. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that got me the millennium. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, right. So, yeah, you got back to the UK and stood outside the ATMs and waited for the money to spit out. That's it. Yeah, giving it, giving it, giving it disco. <laughs> and then, yeah, so you spend the next, uh, say, two, three years back in the UK, just back to training, doing the normal regular no, no, stuff. I went, no, I um, I managed, I landed a post in then. I went to um, Borneo to the Jungle Warfare. Oh, did you? Yeah, right. Oh, yep, gotcha. How yep, was that? that so that was that was amazing, you know. Again, I didn't embrace it like I should have done. <laughs> um, they, they ran a couple of courses, which was which was amazing. It was a, a jungle warfare instructor's course and a jungle tracker's course. And yeah. another part of that was we didn't get involved in that very often, which was the final phase selection, jungle phase. Yep. So that was I was there just under three years. So you're providing medic in the trees, med cover for six to four, six weeks at a time. And then you'll, you'll carry out your normal duties in the med center. You know, it was, it was brilliant. Probably the highlight of my, my time in the military. Yeah. Right. As in, cause of the training was, just, there was a lot of it. And or it was the environment. Just, or- yeah. You know, day one, they told me, welcome, you know, you're meeting all, all the DS staff ready for your students to come in. And the, you know, the first thing I got told was, Naz, um, you're going out to the trees tomorrow for six weeks. And I, you know, I had to stop them there. I said, excuse me, you know, number one, what is, what is the trees? <laughs> and how does one pack for six weeks? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And how did you? You know, very slowly. <laughs> and the uh, climate there. Yeah. And again, you know, it's, you had some great mentors there, you know, who you, you take you through through it all and, and, you know, your initial briefings and, and how to, you know, before you can admin your, your guys, you know, you've got 70 students starting a course like that. Mm. And, you know, you have natural wastage. Not everybody will, will make it through the course. It's a very intense course. Um, obviously, the climate, the location, and a lot to take on board for a lot of these students, you know. But I managed to do about eight or nine of those courses, each one. And, you know, you, you, you learn an awful lot, you know. And, um, yeah, fantastic. You know, so you're doing air med cover when you're not in, in, the, in the trees on the ground, you know, you, we had a helicopter attachment, um, Army Air Corps. So mm. you, anybody has any dramas, you go in on a Bell 212, the Hueys, to, to go collect them if anything goes bad. Um, yeah, some, some good times, you know. Um, learned, learned a lot. 
with that Borneo jungle warfare training, is that still going today for the uh, Royal Yeah, uh, they, Navy they have two locations, I believe, which is um, Borneo and Belize. Okay, so still still hot climates because everyone knows that the that the British aren't good good for their hot hot weather work. No cricket, you, got, yeah. you guys are bad. And, and bad again, you know, you've got, you've got some very very talented guys there who are running the courses. Yeah. Um, from from those respected backgrounds, from SF backgrounds, and you know, I think we both can appreciate that it's not um the course itself. It's having to manage yourself, and it's constant admin. You know, that's the mm. hardest thing when you're not on a job or you're not on a detail, you're, you're prepping your kit, you're gearing your kit and just looking after yourself, you know, that anything minor or a wound, it's, you know, it, things can get bad very quickly. Just fest. So it, it teaches them an awful lot how to manage themselves. Yeah. Did you guys get any yeah. uh, downtime? Um, as DS staff, we went under the pump as much as the students, you know, so we, we were away from them. Yeah. Um, while I was there, when we're not on courses, we managed to get away. We weren't too far from Thailand. Oh fuck it! Um, <laughs> we had bar, we had barley. Yeah, right. Um, you know, so yeah, some 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 good times. I mean, barley. I think I told Matt. I think I flew out the night before that incident occurred, and I was lucky, and I was I was with friends in that same bar. Really? Yeah. Fuck, night, the night before. Yeah, the yeah. night club. before. Yeah. Yeah, the night before. That's yeah. hectic. He actually just got out of jail too the other month. Mm. The, Did he really? Yeah, it was yeah. all over the news and over in Indonesia, they were all cheering on the street and our politicians were, weren't happy with it. Um, I don't think the whole, whole of Australia was, but the main, uh, I want to say the main people there, but a lot of people died were from Coogee and it was from the footy team. Right. And at Coogee Bay yeah. Hotel, they got like memorials up and stuff and yeah, it's it's, it's pretty cool. And yeah, just, I've, seen no, I've seen no mention of that on the news here. Nah. So I'll have a look later. Yeah, yeah. definitely check it out. Um, Shocking. Oh, it's terrible. So during your time, obviously, there you – obviously, 2001, September 11 happens as well, but it doesn't really affect you too much because you didn't go to Afghanistan, did you? No, I didn't. All my time was spent uh, in Iraq. Yeah. So 2003 kicks off. Um, Saddam and, you know, his uh, weapons, of his mass dis- ma- weapons of mass destruction <laughs> yeah. that we never found. Um, yeah. That kicks off, and uh, we've spoken to a, you know a few of our guests, and you might have seen the guests that we've had. A lot of them have uh, participated in that that you know the first wave of taking over Baghdad, which is pretty cool. And you know, for yourself, you've yeah. you've yeah. been there, and for the last, you, you you're pretty much Iraqi the way I see it. You've, yeah, you've spent I, more time I, there I, than, than I'd, Wales. I'd go, I'd go with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so 2003 kicks off, and then you get your first trip to uh, Iraq. Yeah, so I, my role there was a. Uh, an armoured med section commander. So it was uh, armoured vehicles. Uh, you have a crew of two. So I had a driver and a medic with me, which I don't know if you're familiar. It was an old battle tank called a 432. Um, I think a lot of the, the Brits who will listen in will know, will know what I'm talking about, you know, <laughs> yeah, well right. past its style by date. Yep. But ours was good old faithful. It, you know, it did the job and looked after us. Um, yeah, so we went in into into Iraq Um and Basra was our area of, of operations, yep. and Basra Airport, which was the, the, the primary location that we were we were going to uh, secure. So that was an initial uh, six six month deployment. Um, again, going in for us, um, attached to the infantry front line. Um, any medic cases, we we would uh, remove and pass down the, the medical evacuation chain. Fortunately for us, we didn't meet too much resistance on going into um, 
Basra. But while we were there, what we did experience was, you know, what people forgot was when the initial invasion happened, overnight, 800,000 Iraqi soldiers were unemployed. Yeah. They went drawn an income from the day we set foot on, on yep. their soil. Yep. Fuck. How did they feed their families? Loot, riot, riot everything, steel. steel. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it was something that wasn't thought through. All of a sudden, they're not drawn an income. Mm. And they have families to support. So one way or another, they had, they had to put food on the table. There was a lot of looting, a lot of rioting. And, you know, we've seen that over COVID. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, exactly. In first world countries. <laughs> you know, uh, and that was that was a lot of things we were doing. You know, you'd have to secure, I don't know, a, a, a petrol station, make sure people aren't robbing or taking their, their allotment of fuel, um, minor injuries, some some worse than others, of people or children picking up incendiary devices. Mm. You know, the, the, our hospitals were quiet, but I've, when I was coming across people like that, even minor incidents of people picked up a bit of frag, was I was sending them to our, our military hospital, you know. Um, yeah, gotcha. You know, it was, they had the time, they had the resources, get it done. That's fucking wild. Yeah, how, how was that, like how long was that deployment? That was, that was six months, you know. Um, Again, the types of incidents we're talking about there was from your backgrounds again, boys, you know, is was the blue on blues. Yeah, yeah. With a series of ones, you know. Um, we had one of those where uh, two challenger ones were, uh, one got engaged by by another by mistake, you know. Um, that was, uh, resulted in one, one fatality, uh, two yeah, people well. injured quite badly. Um, and, and young children really picking up things that they didn't know were harmful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a drop from from above. Um, yeah, you know, kids the curious to pick things up, and we weren't in a position there to to mark off everything, you know, because of the scale of, of things and resources. Um, but again, you know, I think they realised quite quickly through education, and and you know, you don't know what it is, leave it alone. Yeah, and the movement. And yep. So, in regards to you being a combat medic, this is really your first point where you started using your trade. Patching up people. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think the first thing, the, the most serious one I encountered there was, you know, it was a, a guy my age now, I suppose, you know. Um, 90? With his, yeah, with, 90 years 90, old. 90, 91 with a, with, a, <laughs> with a kid in his arms, you know, a, an entry wound through his sternum. Yep. 10-year-old and caught in a civil unrest, you know, it was um, tribal and the, a young kid got, got involved you know, asking, please help, please help, you know, and, you know, what you do, he's not a soldier, he's yeah. a civilian, we've got a military hospital, yeah, okay, come on, let's go, and, you know, away you go, you're, you're trying to do the right thing, but, again, you're remembering, right, if I take him to the hospital, what's the follow-up of care? Yeah. He's not going to get met back, where does he go from there, you know, but you're young, you don't know, the adrenaline's going, and somebody just handed you a kid. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying, it's it's pretty uh, heavy toll to, to have as well, so obviously the the Kid passed, passed away, did he? With like the, the hole in his chest? I'll, I'll be absolutely honest. I'm not too sure. You know, I don't think it was right. a, it was, was from seeing was it was a good outcome. But again, more than that for me was I had a young crew. Mm. You know, I think my driver was 18 and my medic was 18. Very young. And as weird as it sounds, my thought process was if they don't need to see this, I'll deal with it. Yeah, right. Yeah, that makes sense, I suppose. You know, like. I haven't been exposed to that sort of trauma before. Oh, Matt has, obviously, and so have you. And I think it's something that a lot of lot of men will go, "Oh, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't hurt to see that sort of stuff." But I don't I don't 
I don't think it's good to say. Like if yeah, like you said, you know, if I, I know say for, for some people you can say training is good, you know, and, and it prepares you for these sort of things. But mine was, you know, if somebody didn't need to be involved in something, I would limit their exposure. That yeah. was my way. You know, I'm yeah. a little bit older, and I tried to deal with as much as I could. You know, the other things, yeah, it's okay if I could deal with it. Obviously, on my own. But if not, then obviously that's when they got involved as well. But you know, they, they were a young crew, but I couldn't fault them through the whole six months. They never complained once. And, you know, I was very, very proud because we, we took them through the training and um, pre-deployment. And as well, I think that was the only girl crew as well. So as well, they were women, two, eight, 118, 119. Oh, wow. And, and they performed unbelievably well in an environment they'd never been exposed to before. Yeah. It's, it, actually, one thing I have noticed with um, the UK military, especially in Iraq, is that a lot of the medics were females. Not even that. They got a lot of recognition. Like some of them got some of the highest. What about the, the – One got the George Cross, I think. The Navy the, the Navy chick, the Navy medic. Yeah, was she about four, four foot five. I think she got the VC. No, the George knows? Cross. She got the, she, got the, she got the cross? Something yeah, like that. yeah, you know, and I think, you know, it's, it's one place where they actually got to – to demonstrate their abilities. Yeah. And it's not that you have in our environment, and it's not just in the medic, medical world, it's infantry or signals or REMI, whatever you want to call it. There's two types of people out there, those who can work under the pump and those who can't. Yeah. It's, it's okay being the best mechanic or being the best medic, but if you can't apply those skills under pressure, you're good to nobody. And those girls who did pick up those um, recognition managed to work in very, very difficult environments when it counted. And I think that's where, you know, they, they deserve an awful lot of credit. Yeah, that Navy medic was uh, Kate Nesbitt. She was the first... Military cross. Military, first Royal Navy female to get the military cross. That's right, yeah. Which yeah. is yeah, amazing. I don't know the story uh, word for word, but I think she ran into an opened area. There was a massive gunfight, and there was a yeah. Down. She ran in and was yeah. just started work, working on someone, and there's like bolts going everywhere. So, which you know, Afghan. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It was Afghan, which which yeah. is quite, you know, I, you know, I guess there's a difference between medics, you know, in the military, and you know, paramedics back home. You know, paramedics back home. You know that. Car, car crashes, there, stabbings. Yeah, it's, it's, you know what I mean? Car crashes, stabbings. There is guns. I think it's all resources as well. Yeah, you know? yeah. And support. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah, and then, you know, obviously, yeah, medics in the military, you know, in Iraq and Afghanistan, some of the stuff they had to do and under fire, you know, that, you know. Well, we'll chat to Curtis, who was the medic. He got both his legs blown off and he was doing work on himself because the other combat medic, he was, he was ages away. Yeah, so he was the combat medic, he, yeah. He was, so he's trying to sit up and his counterbalance wasn't wasn't there and he was trying to sit up to work no. and work on his stubs. And it was just like... Amazing. Fuck. Yeah. Crazy, <laughs> crazy. Um, yes, yeah, so that deployment ends uh, late 2003? Yeah, so I think I was there for the... No, that was end of 2003. Yeah. So then I think I had about four or five months off and then my um my boss back at work in germany gave me the good news um you're going back out on telic three which i was the only one from my location yeah and it was more of a role to go back out and to make sure that medics who were serving over there weren't uncomfortable and working above the asked to work above their scope of practice okay you know so i, I was bound for angle locations i was attached to an, uh, an artillery regiment but i was also visiting other medical locations just to make sure that the medics were, were happy and were receiving the support 
yep. they needed. You know, it's, it's a lot of pressure, especially on a, a young young medic on their first attachment to say, you know, an infantry regiment um, in a remote location, and you know, they see a friendly face or somebody who's got a few more years experience than them to make sure you know you're okay. Any dramas? Be happy with yep. what you're doing, and you know, if you can, and you're in a position to just coach them through a few skills, you know, and that's quite fortunate to do that. Yeah, throughout throughout your time as a medic in the uh, in the military, did you did you come across any stupid injuries from stupid soldiers? Because you know, we've had a couple of guys in Timor that <laughs> you know, cut their own hand with the with a machete, you know, when they're chopping stuff or just yeah, shooting, shooting themselves in the foot. Been- or stuff in um, rectums, anything in rectums. I had it because I'm sure that yeah, there'll be a few machete instant. Yeah, um, a few MDs, um, you know, in the foot. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> have you done it, Matt? <laughs> no, we did have a guy on our trip do it. Yeah, <laughs> and silly things where people had shut their the, the hands in armored doors. You know, the the ones that close oh, automatically, fine. and <laughs> that would hurt. Yeah. That yeah, you know. Um, but luckily, no, not not too much. Yeah. Not too much. No. We had we had more incidents of people post tour being stupid and careless while you know out enjoying it, having themselves a good time, a few too many beers. Yeah, there was more instances <laughs> occurring post tour than on tour. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess that's the best thing about knowing a medic as well, because when you are back on base and you have an absolute blinder of a night and get absolutely thumped. You know, the next morning you just get the medic to come along and just Baz, throw, Baz, throw, a bag, throw a bag in. That was if you could wake him because he's normally the worst one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so, yeah, so and then 2004 comes along and you decide to pull the pin on the military. That's it. You wanted to get out? Yeah, well, I was I was working out there at the time and, you know, a, a four, I always remember four SUVs pulled up into a – a place called Umkasa Port in uh, in South Iraq. Yep. And, you know, somebody shouts out, Oi, Naz, you know, I was taking a bit of PT. And it's not something you expect to hear, you know? Yeah. I was like full Land Cruise blacked out windows and somebody shouting my name from a distance, you know, <laughs> some big dudes in body armor, not military. I'm thinking, what have I done here now? <laughs> um, and cut a long story short, it was one of my best friends from Borneo. Yep. Um, seeing you here again. And to be honest, I was very fortunate through my through my time in, in the military. Everywhere I wanted to go, I managed to get. You know, I went to, to Bosnia, I went to Kosovo, I went to Cyprus. I got a fantastic post into to Brunei, Borneo, back to Germany. And I was at the crossroads in my career. I was halfway through my time in the mill and I was always away. Yeah. And it was crunch time for me. And do I stay? And I enjoyed it, but I didn't want to be one of those guys who became bitter. I I believe I gave all I had to offer at that time, and I was seeking new experiences. And not just that, the carrot was being dangled because the private security industry had just started in the Middle East. Yep, and it was something that I thought I'm going to have. I'm going to have a go at this, see if I can get in. And that's that's the route I went down. Yeah, right. So that so in. Uh- December 2004, you leave the armed forces. So you spent 10 years total as an yeah. army combat medic. Then uh, you started uh, CP in 2005 in Iraq. Yeah, so I started with a company, um, no names, um, that I didn't know at the time. You know, it was made up of a lot of experienced guys. You know, I'd never 
participating in any sort of CP work or um, work in Iraq of that nature before. Um, very new to it all, very green. And it was a case of, you know, you show me the ropes doing this and I'll show you the ropes as a medic. You show me how to use that PKM. Yep. I'll show you how, how to manage, you know, a, a chest strain or a, or a major hemorrhage, uh, those, those sort of things. And, you know, you remember a lot of those guys, they were just topping up their pension. You know, you got a guy just done 22 years in the parachute regiment. You got a guy just done 22 years in the Royal Marines. You got somebody who's done 15, 16 years in the Welsh guards, some, some very, very experienced guys. And, the wealth of information that was available and to, to learn from these guys in those days was, was phenomenal, especially I'd say in a hostile environment, but things didn't really pick up in the Middle East until about 2006. Yep. So you know? um, to that, by that time, you've already worked a couple of, what, a year in, where, where were so you? I, d- I, did, I, did, I did about six months on that job. And that job, all that entailed was running trucks all over, escorting logistic vehicles from one end of Iraq to other other. So it was like from Basra to the border in Turkey. Yeah. And back you're going to Fallujah or Ramadi or, you know, it was it was countrywide. Um but we didn't meet too much um resistance that in two thousand and five because we weren't we weren't a target. We weren't on the radar for for anyone, you know? Yeah. And so I finished that in two thousand and five and then I I started with another company in Basra, um, which was to help uh, rebuild a lot of the refineries and things like that. That was for 16 months. Um, again, not a lot happening there. And then 2006, that's when things picked up and all the IDF started on, on Basra Air Base. And that's when things uh, took quite a turn. I think that's that's when things changed towards yeah, right. us so as you- West. So you kept doing, um, you know, similar stuff, escorting vehicles, um, well, fuel trucks, et cetera, you know, supply trucks. Yeah. And then, you know, yeah. what, what What was the most – what were you copying, like IDs and, you know, yeah, airbushes? Yeah, you know, it just, was – There's it a was, lot of um, IDs. Road, roadside devices, you know, they were putting them in curbstones, made of foam, EFPs. Um, EFPs, sorry? Explosively you know, foam projectile? So, yeah, you know, the projectiles that – you know, the, the, some of these were shaped charges, you know, so they quite easily go through 30 centimetres of steel. Yeah. And, uh, okay, gotcha. You know, whatever, whatever they're connected with, with you know, it's, it's not a not a good outcome. So were you hired um, as a medic, Naz, or were you hired as a driver or just a hired gun? Early so early on in the days, I was predominantly the medic, but you're an armed medic. Yeah, I got so you. So you're dual role, you're, you're a vehicle commander or you're a 2IC. Yeah. Um, and that's what I was doing in the early days. So the first two, two, three gigs I had was um, the first one was escorting vehicles. The second one was for um, the U.S. working alongside them, um, looking after their interests. Um, and the third, I think I started in 2007, which was Mosul and Tikrit, was looking after the Royal Corps of Engineers. So that was three years in, in Tikrit wow. uh, and three years in Mosul. Now, early before you spoke about the old guys topping up their pensions and the supers and whatnot, what was the – obviously, the pay was quite better or nicer than like your, in your in your British pay, your British Army pay, and the same is for you, Matt. I understand like oh, the Australian Defence Force pay, pays well when you're over there, but obviously yeah, the protection world. Yeah, I think, you know, you're quite fortunate with the Auss- Aussie mill. You know, I was always quite surprised <laughs> to hear. In, in the UK, I'd say what the guys were sort of picking up on the circuit was three times their monthly income, I'd say. Oh, yeah. Of, yeah. The, of the military. 
So it was quite attractive, especially those guys who'd done their time. Excuse me. You know, they got kids going to college or, you know, whatever it was. It was a perfect opportunity for them to do a couple of years and, and bounce, bounce back out again. If the if the CP world didn't get his claws into you first, you know, and, and keep you in, yeah, yeah, for yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, right. So um, within that whole time, you know, from say 2006 to two, when did you finish? 2019 was it? We'll, we'll so, go to, we'll yeah, go to 2012. Then, um, so 2006 to 2012. How did you? You know, was there close calls? Did you have a lot of medical emergencies? Did you you know patch up a lot of guys? So yeah, in that in that time, I mean, I, I'll give you an example. I started the job in 2004, um, 2005, sorry. And since I started, I lost 56 friends, 56. Fuck. And that's lads, you know, I, I, I work with. Some of them were due to hostile incidents and some of them were um, motor vehicle accidents or something that shouldn't have really happened. Mm. But you know, to give you an, sort of an indication, yes, yeah, so I'd, say, I'd say 56 is quite reserved. Jesus Christ. Um, um, like... Just to touch on it just a little bit, you know, out of that 56, you know, how many did you have to work on personally? I'd say probably about 10, 10, yeah. you know. Um, and and again, with with that, some, there wasn't any work to be done. You know, it was in preservation of the rest of the team. Yeah. Collect yourself, do do what you got to do. And, and again, these teams, they were very good teams, you know, a lot, a lot of experience. So you concentrate on your primary role, you know, and – do what you've got to do, either get off the X or or extract yourself from, from that hostile environment. You know, um, three years in Mosul, we ended up mapping the city and we, we were asked to do that. Um, you know, just a few other things. Uh, the South of, of Tikrit was EFP. Ours was more ID. Yeah. You know, you see, you see a vehicle and it looks a bit suspicious. You've got one up in it. You take an alternate route. You wouldn't chance it. You know, um, you'd sort of pick up on the markers or culverts were, were a big thing. You know, one of my best friends, he collected a, a 500-pound culvert bomb just south of Mosul, oh. last vehicle in a 26-wheel convoy. You know, it. those were the days. You could, you know, do you stop for every everything that looks a little bit yeah, exactly. suspicious? You know, some, some of these places, there was only one way in, one way out. Yeah. You know, you, you'd get there. And you'd say to your client, listen, you've got 40 minutes. That's it. Do what you've got to do. And, and we're gone, you know, um, just to reduce your footprint, you know. Exactly. Some of these journeys take you three hours to get there, three hours to get back. But you're saying, listen, don't call anybody till you're 10 minutes out. Tell them you're there. Do what you've got to do. And we're away. And it was a lot of pressure, especially on some of these team leaders, you know, the young guys, a lot of pressure to for the rest, you know, to, to look after your team, to get everybody back in, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, it, yeah, it, it is. You know, it is a lot of pressure because you don't have the military support. You know, of you don't. You, there's nothing. You know, so you you're, no air support. It's just you, yeah. your guys, your guns, and that's it. And you know, it, well, you seen you seen it yourself, Matt. You know, yeah. for the last years, you know, we did we did uh, seven years in Baghdad. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you don't have that support. You know, it's you go out and you make sure all your boxes are ticked before you you push out. You've got everything you need and everything's been double checked. All your numbers, any support assets. Yeah. Um, and everybody's everybody's doing their job, you know, and they're on top of their game that day. Yeah. Did you did you work with Brian as well? Yeah. I you did, yeah. yeah, yeah he was together. um yeah. <laughs> he was a, a great guy. He um still is a great guy. Um 
and was very competent. And I always, you know, while, while he was with us, I was always very comfortable mm. to work with him and very happy to work with him. But again, I'm going back from that is medical wise, you know, I had the opportunity to work with a couple of Aussie medics, three, uh, sorry, two, in fact, and probably the best medics I'd ever worked with. Yeah, right. Um, they're still over there. Um, you know, um, without saying the names, I don't have to say the names, but two, two Aussie guys who work, work with me at, um, in Iraq. Yeah. And I, just from the two of them, I probably learned more in, in six months than I did in two years, three years in some places, you know? Yeah. And very, very humble guys, but extremely knowledgeable, um, and very, very experienced. Yeah, no, it's definitely, definitely comforting having medics that just know what they're doing. It's like, yeah, especially in an environment like that, like far out, you fucking need them. <laughs> you need them for sure. Let's um, punch on to 2012. You, the Australian Embassy, yeah, become a, a kangaroo yeah. fucker. <laughs> as what? Um, That's it. Jesus. Yeah. So, you know, I'd worked with a lot of Aussie guys over the years, and a couple of them got in touch and said, "Listen, you know, we, we've got a position for a medic if you're interested." You know, and cut a long story short, yeah, I was there seven years. Yeah, long time. You long know, long time. You learn a few new words. G'day, mate. <laughs> I, I did. I don't know if like, they can be repeated on your podcast. Oh, no, it's we'll again. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. They definitely can. We've, we've yeah. <laughs> go on, let's go. I'll say it. Say them. I'll, I'll, bring them. I'll bring them up in a minute, but um, <laughs> the, the ones you've talked they definitely cannot be repeated on it. <laughs> you know. Uh, I, what I'd still say to the boys now is just punching out for a dart. <laughs> yeah, just punching uh, for a dart. <laughs> uh, yeah. I still, I still tell me missus to get a dog up, yeah. <laughs> get a dog up, yeah. <laughs> it's like, that uh, saying itself is so weird. It's like, imagine the first person hearing that. Yeah. Get the dog up, yeah. Sorry, mate. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's. Um, I still find myself saying a few of these Aussie words back back in the UK and you know you, you do collect a few funny looks. <laughs> how was how was the embassy compared to the other posting during, during the security world? Well I'll I'll cut in just quickly like you know obviously it was totally different because it was a, a government contract. It's not commercial. Obviously oh, okay. you can touch on it more Naz but obviously you know mm. prior to 2012 you were on commercial so you didn't have the you know the the flashes and embassy passes right. and all that type of stuff oh, to get you here gotcha. and there okay. and yeah. Go ahead, Ness. You know, prior to that, you know, I think it was about eight years was spent um, with working alongside the US. So we were bouncing into their fobs and their, their areas, you know, and we had access. We had into their locations. But however, for transiting around, especially places like Baghdad outside the, the green zone and, and even inside the green zone, you know, an awful lot of checkpoints. So you weren't being held up as much, you know, they know, okay, yeah, that's, that's, that's who they are. Let them through. They're good to go. So, you know, that sort of um, power or working for that sort of an organization did did help us a lot, you know. Yeah, definitely. And and the and the support assets that you have as well, you know. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, you can, you know, you have a bit more mm. than commercial. Okay, which is right always on. a good thing. And then uh, spent seven years there. Yeah, seven years. Seven years. Train, as you say, definitely would have learned a lot of language. So was it? <laughs> was it like six? Was it like two months on, a month off, or a month on, month off? For there, it was. Um, it's quite flexible, you know. They were they were pretty good. Um, I I got there and it was normally eight, eight on, four off, um, and you'd get there and you know somebody asked you to cover a little bit, you know. But it was good. It was, it was the camaraderie was good. The, the teams were great. Everybody got on. You know, it was it was 
it was fee for, wasn't it? It was fit in or yeah. F off. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you know it, it was a great great environment um and i was quite fortunate through my time in was you know i started a job where at the very beginning you, you're washing your own gear in a bucket it's 40 people sleeping in a in a chew you know it's 56 degrees down south and i always went to a better location you know yeah. i was very very lucky very blessed that it didn't go the other way yeah you know Jobs, jobs got better as your experience increased. I suppose, like you'd like to think it would, and I was, I was very fortunate, you know. And again, in those days, and even to, to now, you know, it's there's two types of CV in the world, gentlemen. One's fiction, and one's non-fiction. Yeah. And we work in a world that is only separated by one person. You know, I know somebody that Matt knows. Exactly. If I don't know him, he will know them, and. Even to this day, jobs come about. It's a phone call or it's an email. Do you fancy this? It's 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 good. You know, we've we worked with a lot of people who claim to have done this and claim to have done that. And it's not till things go bad and people say, you know, for a medic to have a, a good day, somebody has to have a bad day. And I'd never wish that. Even on the ground, or we're having a, a bad a bad instant. But those people were exposed very quickly, who are working well well above their their scope of practice yeah as a, a cp guy or as a medic yeah you know it was always the guys who were making the most noise or complete uh claiming to be this and that 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 were full of wind yeah exactly and um yeah no it's definitely definitely like that but um yeah that's obviously the australian embassies where i met you and we worked on the same team and uh, you yeah. know as you were saying before it was just a good good fun contract you know obviously when we did the job we did the job but you know, when we, when we got back to the embassy, it was you know ping pong, and there was a lot of ping pong, a lot of FIFA, yeah. gym time, and a lot of uh, cigarettes. We smoked a lot of darts. The, yeah, that's, that's right. You yeah. were we smoked. We smoked yeah. a lot of darts. And, and uh, how many guys? You know, believe you're right now. As you go, that you're saying that now. You know, it's you know. I never even used to show one in a picture, Matt. And here you are now telling everybody. <laughs> oh well. You know how much Bob I'm going to cop when they're eating in the UK now. From, from your family, yeah. From her, probably. Yeah. <laughs> well, you quit now, haven't you? You've quit. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 100%. No darts for me. <laughs> no darts. They won't even know what darts are, so it's all good. How many, okay, good. How many guys were in a, um, what do you call it, like a group platoon? We, uh, we had about 10, 10 in the team at one yeah, time. Yeah, I'd say, yeah. About, it it, it fluctuates, that. yeah. It fluctuates on different contracts. Yeah. You know, ten is pretty big, and then you know, in Kabul. When I was in Kabul, we were running four guys. So, is that how many guys are at the embassy staying there? No, there was probably what, 30, 40 guys there, PSD guys, and then yeah. the rest was obviously government officials. And yeah, yeah, I think it works. It works differently for every location. Yeah. You know, for where, wherever they are in the world or whoever it is, they've got to have a certain lift capability, which means that you need a certain amount of staff. Uh, sorry, PSD to look after a certain number of people, and you know, it's just. It's, it's a figure they run, you know. And when we were there, it just happened to be three teams, but things change all the time. I, yeah. I think they've changed a lot since since yeah, we has, left. And yeah. I think we we cut away at at a great time, really. And yeah, yeah. it was it was a good time. Yeah, we, we had a good time. What what year did you leave, Matt? Early uh, two thousand seventeen, because I went to straight straight to Africa. That's right. And you stayed in, and you got out a few few years ago, Naz. Two thousand nineteen. I I think I left. Was it two thousand and eighteen? Must have been just, yeah. Yeah, about 2018, you know, um, 
I, I stepped away from that. And then I, I was fortunate enough, somebody um, asked me if I'd go and work on a United Nations Mine Action Service, which was removing landmines from the Iraq-Syrian border. So no, thanks. Um, my, my job there was uh, security yep. and senior medic. It was quite a remote location. Um, however, you know, the, where we were, it was, I don't know if you're too familiar with the Yazidi people. They've yeah. encountered a lot of uh, mass genocide. Yeah. So a lot of it as well was identifying mass graves. Um, well, that was, that you know, was the whole. You know, I'll give you an example in Kojo where we were. Yep. Um, 5,000 male members were executed in 40 minutes, you know. Fuck. Yeah. And it, it's, it's what people don't hear about. Whatever the wind touched in Sinjar is what ISIS did as well. You yeah. know, they had the same effect. Generations have, will never recover. You know, we were there trying to remove the ordinance um, so they could come back to their homes. But I'd say, you know, even through the the airstrikes, if you call them the airstrikes, when Dash were there and things like this, a lot of their infrastructure was destroyed. So you'd say that one in 10 houses were still standing. So that was a big thing. You know, they didn't have anywhere to return to. Um, so that was another part of it, you know, the trying to get the infrastructure sorted, the schools, the water, and, you know, just to encourage them to come back. But, you know, as well, when there's nothing there for them to do as an employment, it was, you know, it was very, very difficult. So I was there for a year. Yeah. Yeah, right. And that brings us to the current day of uh, COVID. And, <laughs> COVID. Um, obviously, again, we can't speak about where you, where you are now and what you're going to be doing in the future as in the next, you know, Today, tomorrow, yeah, next week. tomorrow, yeah, type thing. Yeah. So, but we can talk about you being in South Africa for some training at a hospital. Yeah, so you know, um, as, as we just mentioned, you know, like anything, you know, you just need to keep trying to keep your skill set up. And um, I went away to do um, a placement. Um, I went to Johannesburg for four weeks to work in uh, in an emergency ward. And my luck, Matt, you know, I was there for. As you just said, COVID and the riots. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I did forget about the riots. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it apps. So it just absolutely went off. You know, I think um, I got there, started work. So it's normally about 12, 14 hour shifts. You know, I was there. It was in the emergency ward, and I, <laughs> I seen more there in four weeks, Matt, than my career put together. That's hectic. Fuck. <laughs> Good training though. You know, I think my first patient was somebody who come in and had the jaw shot off. How do you how do you treat someone like that? Like, what is the protocol? Again, you know, um, how can I break it down? Are for we, you? we talking about the whole jaw now? It, like- yeah, it was it was you know it's gone. But it's again when you think about it, you know, and you say to the guys, regardless, you you treat it as you see it, and it's it is it's the it's the simple stuff. You know, the the, the medics are taught prior to deployment, or that you're going anywhere, and it's you know if it's a catastrophic hemorrhage you address it if it's an airway issue you try and manage it if it's breathing you try and deal with it if it's circulation you know it's it's the it's the abcds remember though yeah the environment i was in was a hospital so you, we did have the tools and the resources and the specialists to to deal with those things but we were working in a place where we had the six-year final medical students so i got to have those with me for a couple of weeks and it was quite good because the doctors were saying you know, just taken through some of the some of the procedures, which was quite good. You know, they've done all the theory, but they've just never got hands on. Yeah. 
and even myself, you know, I thought I knew things prior to arriving and yeah, boy, did I, I, I get a shock. You know, it was, I managed to treat and, and exposed, get exposed to a lot, a lot of stuff, you know, and uh, hands on, I don't care where you are, you can't be. Yeah. Well, let's touch on that side of COVID just quickly. How is COVID in that part of the world? Obviously, again, here in Australia, mate, we go crazy over three cases. Someone, some parts someone of the sneezes and we all get shut yeah, down. The some, government shits themselves here yeah. and they shut down everything. <laughs> so how was it in South Africa in regards to COVID? Well, how did you, how did you, view, how do you view I COVID? There. I got there and the country was on, on a lockdown. It was a curfew. Yep. So I'll, I'll give you an example. So I was there working in the hospital and what they did was they banned the sale of alcohol. In the so whole South Africa? In Johannesburg, you couldn't buy it. Wow. Fuck. Really? Why though? Okay. I believe it was to, a lot of it was for trouble. And I'll give you an example here now is when the alcohol sales were on, we were busy in, in the emergency ward. When they cut the alcohol in by, and stopped it, my trauma patients went down by 50%. Okay. Sure. Wow. Interesting. That is interesting stats. But that was there, you know. We were also pretty busy with um, the COVID. Um, so that was running as well. The, as I said, the riots, that was on. And I think with the, with the rioting as well, it was take away the beer, take, try and, you know, diffuse the situation, not not put, you know, fuel on the flames. Um, There's also a curfew, which was nine o'clock yeah. in the evening till I think it was six in the morning. Was that or five for, in the that morning. was obviously for the, the riots? Yeah, yeah. Again, yeah. you know, we didn't experience it too bad where I was, but the other states, yeah, as you've probably seen on the news, it was, it was quite bad. Yeah, in regard to COVID, were people practicing hygiene? <laughs> like it's a bit of a loose in, term well, in South know, Africa, I think. Again, you know, the, where the locations that I visited or some of the areas I went, you know, they were exercising, you know, that all the hand sanitation, just like the rest, the rest of the yeah. world adhering to all the, the policies that are, that are put out. Um, however, I think there, there was another variant that they said had started. So, you know, the, the country had sort of gone into a, a bit of a flat spin yeah, and posing all these restrictions and whatnot. And, you know, people are already had their liberties removed for a year. Yeah. And they're questioning, you know, what's going on now. Um, and I, I arrived, and I'd never been exposed to that. You know, I'd missed a lot of it being in the Middle East. Um, but the patients that I was encountering in the hospital um, were respiratory condition and respiratory related. However, for me, uh, this is me personally, I didn't encounter one person under 20, even 30 for that matter, um, with a, with a COVID-related um, condition. Um, the people who were coming through and were struggling with those people already with a medical condition, yep. those who weren't in the best of health, very obese, um, type one diabetic, yeah, with with a bad uh, health, you know, history, um, those recovering from or going through um, quite a, a bad illness, recovering from cancer or you know a lowered immune system. Not one person came through who was a young, healthy male, for example, 40 years old. Um, Fine. Through the doors that where I was, you know. Yeah. Um, three of the staff that I worked with, clinicians, had had the vaccine and they'd had, some of them had had COVID three times. Yeah, right. <laughs> Fuck. Right. And they, and they were this fine. Is, this is, these are doctors. Yeah. And you have you had the vaccine? Uh, 
Not as yet, Matt. No, <laughs> I've, I've not. No. And, you, and you, you, you're again, fine. this was this is this is where I was the head of um, emergency medicine. There, you know, we were having a little chat about this. I think I had it last year. You know, I had uh, quite a nasty cough. I couldn't shake for a couple of weeks. You know, quite a, a tickly cough. Where you know you you couldn't really get a sentence out either without coughing. Uh, I broke a fever one night. And I had it for about 10 days and it went, you know, yeah. that was it. No loss of taste, no loss of smell, no, nothing. And I don't normally get, get ill. And I think that's what it was, you know, but again, mm. you know, where I was working, people say pneumonia, they say this, the type of how it presents, it, you know, it presents in a lot of different forms, but what it is, is you can compare it to altitude sickness or people who just can't get the oxygen on board. You know, you can't, you can't, there's something preventing that oxygen intake, yeah, gotcha. you know, you know, it's like a acute respiratory distress syndrome. That's, yeah. that's how you say it. Just the inability to get oxygen. I have people on double oxygen with a, a mask and nasal cannulas on 15 liters a minute, you know, but this, their pulse oximetry is still reading at about 85. This, you know, the, the oxygen wasn't loading. Yeah. But these are people again, who, even if you were to put a normal illness on them, wouldn't cope well. Yeah, gotcha. So I know what you're trying to say, try and keep it political correct, but I'm just going to say it. I don't give a fuck. Um, essentially, if you're fit and healthy, you're more than likely going to survive COVID. Simple? Your, yeah, your chances are a lot, lot, lot better. And like, like we're no physicians here and either, you know, you're a medic, but you experienced it firsthand in a place that's probably third world and doesn't yeah. practice that, – they don't use too much bloody hand sanitizer. I, I can I could probably tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. – yeah, I've Inter- had inter- interesting, isn't it? It is it's very interesting. I've had swine flu, I've had H1N1 influenza, and I haven't had COVID. But when I had swine flu in 2009, I, I slept for like two days straight, and I had H1N1 influenza in 2017, 2018, and I was just sweaty and cold for about 36 hours. And everyone's just like raving on about this COVID shit, and it's like. I'm no doctor like Matt said either, but yeah. it's just a load of shit to me. Like, so yeah, everyone but, um, out there, you're just like, oh, okay with this, you know, if, if you don't like it. It's just crazy. Fuck yeah. But again, this is another podcast and yeah. You know, we, we've not seen the fallout of this yet, guys, especially in the UK in, no. and in Oz. It's, no. it's, it's scared a lot of people and it's, oh, it you know, it's, the, it's 51% mental health in the UK now, 49% yeah. physical health. Yeah, but it's, And we've it's, not seen. We've not seen the fallout of it yet. No, and you don't see it on the news or anything either about how many deaths each day are from, you know, suicide. That's it. And the same as the cold. Like, they had stats in America last year of, like, how many people died during the common cold and um, there's other related, like, drug and alcohol, domestic violence, et cetera, et cetera. And COVID was, like, a piss in the ocean compared to, like, someone dying in a car crash, uh, blood clots after a hip operation or something. It was just, like... Even here in Australia, like the blood clotting, everyone's going on about the Pfizer or the other one. AstraZeneca. Astra, that's the one. Um, and they're like, yeah, the blood, blood clots are through the roof and there's guys on my Instagram who are full fucking anti-COVID and so am I in a way, but they these blokes are full full extremists and it's like, fucking Jesus, mate. It's, I don't well, know. I think they're, they're laughing now, you know, what they've created is a divide for those who've taken it and those who haven't. And for those who have, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you, for those people who may be more susceptible to it. But for those who, who haven't as yet, you know, the young, fit and healthy, you know, we don't know what the implications are going to be. You know, I'm not anti, I'm not pro, it's, you know, yeah. it's my personal choice. Yeah. And, you know, personally, and uh, 
I'd be interested to know where we're going to be a year from now when the results start to come through. Hopefully, uh, hopefully there's tickets to Mars. Everybody, <laughs> <laughs> Bezos. Um, anyway, let's let's uh, let's move on from COVID because it's uh, it's a depressing depressing uh, topic to chat topic, through. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we've been talking for a good hour and ten, Naz, and uh, again, mate, like it's been. It's been awesome to see your face again, and um, an eye opener, an eye opener, yeah, definitely eye opener, especially you know uh, the Bosnia Kosovo and through your PSD world, and you know again you lost fifty six mates and yeah, you know crazy. worked on a whole bunch of them, and you know all those guys passed away, so you know rest in peace to those guys, and um, mate, we've got two final questions we ask our guests all the time, and throw on three. We'll throw on three. Yeah. Shane's got – this could be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, the first question is, you know, again, this goes back to what Shane was saying earlier. You know, what advice can you give to people, to, you know, if they want to get into the PSD side of things or, um, you know, what advice can you give to people to just complete their goals as well? Um, you know, get with, to the top with, and do – With the, with the same, same, same as anything, you know, um, why is it they want to get into that role? You know, do, do your homework, do your research. Um, if you're going to enter this this sector, as I did, I did it, and I think the reason I stayed as long as I did, I was quite naive. You know, I didn't really know what I was letting my getting myself into. Um, do your homework, speak to those who are already doing it, and get some good courses behind you as well. You know, get get some of these medical courses, get a good CP course under your belt. People compare it to the military and say, you know, I did this in the mill. They're two separate things. You know. You, you have the support in the mill when you're into the commercial security side of things. You, you, you lose that, that, that support structure. So yeah. you, you learn a lot, you know, and there's, there's a lot of information now out there. But um, so you say, just do your homework and why it is you want to do and your own little risk assessment, you know, of, of the area and the location that you might end up working in. Yeah, that's it. And definitely training, you know, get as much training under your belt. Absolutely. Yeah, um, as much training. You know, but you know, unfortunately for the civvies out there that are listening, for you to get into PSD, it's, it's quite a, it's quite it's, a battle. It's, it's not going to happen because there's too many guys out there that have, you know, it, it, there's not enough jobs going around. Not not like early two thousands where they were just taking bounces off the nightclub doors in from the UK. Yeah, taxi little, drivers. Yeah, and taxi drivers a little bit different now. But um, and, and now the, sorry, now the money's. Um, less as well. It's shit, yeah. Brian was saying, I think you and Brian. Right, well, yeah, yeah, it depends on obviously what you're doing, but yeah, most most contracts are pretty shit now. Yeah, just the way of the world, way of the world, uh, mate. Second question is, um, you know, what's the plans for the future for Adnan Nazar? What, what's his plans? Get back to Wales and obviously post well, as I contract just earlier. There, I'm, I'm trying to brush up on my on my med skills. So I'm when I'm not away working, I'm trying to fund my own. Uh, med qualifications the plan is is to get to get back to the uk um at some point you know the reason and what you mentioned earlier is about the money or whatever you're earning and the big bucks you know you've got to remember they're paying you for your time yeah being away from your family yeah exactly and it's exactly it's a very you're making a sacrifice okay you you may be Mm. lucky enough to be on the big bucks but you're away for eight nine months a year yeah and it's a high chance to get get really bad, really badly injured as well, or dead. Yeah, yeah. you know, and that, that that is that is there is an element of that there as well. So yeah, well, there's not many jobs out there like that. <laughs> no, no, there's not. Um, my final question. But if there were, I'd have found it. <laughs> uh, who did you like better, Matt or Brian? 
Well, to be honest, between, you know, I know Matt, so I wouldn't have picked either. <laughs> Fair call. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. He's sat yeah, next right. to you there. You don't realise he's got quite an evil streak within him, you know. Um, yeah, it was good times. Did times. you did you feel safe when uh, Matt Matt and Brian were there, were there as your drivers slash shooters? Absolutely, you know, and the, and the thing is, I think to speak for a lot of people, if somebody wasn't happy with somebody's ability at performance, they had no business being there. Yeah, they'll go on, they'll go on quick. Yeah, okay. And I think it's the same for for any position where you you have that degree of responsibility to take, take care of somebody, or they're expecting you to do the same, you know, and and vice versa. It's you'd be uh, thinned out pretty quick. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, okay. well, I'm surprised you've seen us working anyway, because most of the time you were in the back of the vehicle sleeping. You know, well, you know, you need to you need to sleep to to grow. <laughs> Bloody medics! It's, it's a common trend. You and Sandy sleeping all the time. Well, sat, no, 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 no. You can't compare me with with that. And the thing is, he didn't grow really, did he? You know? He did. Poor old Sandy. <laughs> but that boy, that boy could sleep. <laughs> um, have you thought about uh, doing medicine, as in becoming a doctor? Because you look like a doctor. Like if I was to walk into a GP and you were there, I'd be like, oh, he looks like a doctor. He must be a doctor. You, you do look like a doctor. <laughs> do you know what, Matt? I do, I'll, I'll be honest. I don't think I've got the intelligence. These doctors, they're, they're wired different. I think yeah. to be a doctor, you've got to lose a little something of yourself. Yeah. It's in the sense that to make room for all that knowledge. They, you know, I was it there and the way they're working and how they process they're another level. They, they lose know. their personality. That's what it is. They've yeah, they got do. no person. Every doctor you, you know, go to, they're just you know, as they, they were amazing. The boring as batshit. But it was like work. It was like working with twelve rain men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. You know, amazing at the, what they do. Yeah, of but course. Yeah. For me, for me, I think where I am, I'm I'm comfortable knowledge wise. I think if I was to try and up it, I'd be. I'd be reaching a bit too far, you know. I think I've I've got to where I need to go. But as for doctors, I think they've asked me. I can go back any time, so I'll probably go back every year. Yeah, and do two weeks and bounce. I've got made some great friends there, and I'll I'll do another two weeks traveling. But um, yeah, I know my what my limit is, and yeah, right. A doctor is is is, is a little, little. I wouldn't say a little. It's it's quite a bit out of my reach. But um, you're always learning from them. Um, and again, remember, doctors, they are where they are because of their environment. We're remote. We're working on our own. Yep. Yeah, right. Well, um, well, if you go back to Johannesburg, take me with you because I'd love to do some plays. I'm just finishing my uh, paramedical science now. He is. He is. So, I, I, um, yeah, I want to come do some. Well, I don't, I don't knock it, you know. If you can do this, any learning of any, you know, medicine, the diploma in emergency medicine and the paramedical sciences, it's, it's great. And yeah. it's not just for hostile environments. It'll serve you wherever you go in the world, you know? Yeah, exactly. If something hey, happens. Hey, Naz, part of Matt's course, he's, he told me the other day that he has to put a finger up my bum, and he already did. Is that is that part of the course? <laughs> it was three fingers, too. Well, <laughs> when I when I, when I I looked through the syllabus last time, <laughs> you, you, you mentioned finger. <laughs> When I spoke to him last, he told me it was a Lego car. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be funny on the x-rays. <laughs> hey, uh, Naz, um, thanks for coming on and giving me your time, mate. Um, people are going to love this for sure. It's yeah. been really cool. I'll enjoy um, it. You know, it's a pleasure. I hope, um, you know, as I said to you before, there's people far, far more knowledgeable than, than me, and I've been quite fortunate because as though I've been exposed to it a lot, 
in different environments, I've been very, very lucky, you know, and it's luck and getting to work with some very, very professional guys who watched my six yeah. all these years, you know, 20, 20 years in Iraq. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's, it's down to those people that I, I've been lucky enough to, to work with. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, exactly. All right, mate. Well, um, put it down to that. again, thanks for your time. And um, just give us one word that you learned from Aussies. Mutt. Mutt. <laughs> M-O-O-T. Awesome. Mutt. Awesome. I, I, I was told it was some kind of possum. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's a hairy one. It's also a beaver. <laughs> All right, mate. Thanks for your time. See you, Naz. All right, boys. My pleasure. Take care. Yeah, Matt, he was a colourful guy. He was awesome. Yeah, that's Naz that's, for you, man. Like, he's just... Um, He's so laid back for a, for a medic and for what he's seen, you know, he spoke about, you know, losing 56 friends and yeah. working on, you know, probably 10 of them, he reckons. Oh, probably more, yeah. Probably more. But Imagine uh, how hard that would be. Like, imagine if you got shot right now and I had to work on you. It would be, it'd be like, traumatic. It would be, yeah. and, like, you think about, like, your, your missus and like, your kids and just. And that was Iraq, you know, in that in that period. It was it was hostile the wild, wild west. Oh, yeah. The wild oh, yeah. west. Like, you cannot compare, uh, especially for a private security contractor. Um, again, you had no support. Yeah, it's just that's it. Twenty guys, ten guys, five guys. In that's a fucking it. Land cruiser. Yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> yeah. Land cruisers and whatever else they had, so, uh, suburbans as well. Um, for me, it was good to see Naz again. He looks like you know we'll put some photos up. He looks like uh, Jeff Goldblum, but but Tanner, <laughs> but Tanner, <laughs> yeah, of uh, Asian Indian uh, descent, and uh, you know funny stories of him. Jump up on the table and yelling at Mujahideen. What does that mean? What is it? Mujahideen is the the, um, the tribe or the militia that was in Afghanistan before the Taliban. Oh, okay, right, yeah. okay, right, right. Which I'm pretty sure they were created by uh, Mujahideen with the originals, and then obviously mm. t- the Taliban were created. <laughs> they were the originals. Yeah, they were the OGs. The, OGs. <laughs> the Taliban were created by the CIA to take over the Mujahideen, and right. they fucked up and just took over the world instead. <laughs> Thanks, CIA. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to Naz. <laughs> um, yeah, and he's offline. We spoke to him. Obviously, we won't air it for his uh, security, but he is another hostile part of the world, having a good time. I was, I would say. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He's going to be stuck there. He reckons till you know end of the year, etc. And uh, we can't again can't say where he's going to, but we can, I can say it's it's one of those places in the world where it's fucked up. <laughs> where where if you went though, the Australian yeah. government would be like. What the fuck are you going there yeah, for? Yeah, what are you doing? Uh, which I'm actually... Offline again, yeah. He's said he needs some shooters. So I know a few boys out there might be listening. There might be a couple of shooter jobs coming up and I'll, I'll keep his posted, uh, which will be fun. Um, but yeah, Naz, um, that was awesome. He's just a he's just a good guy too. Like All medics have yeah. that sense of humour where it's like they don't laugh at their own jokes. Yeah. I've, I've, I was just like, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it was awesome. It was but good. if you want to get in contact with Naz, I don't think he's he's I, not on social media no, or anything. He's, he's, he's a bit of a ghost. He's, he's an old man too. He is. Um, he was like the dad and the grandpa of our our team uh, in Baggers. Um, but if you want to, you know, shoot a message out to us, we can relay it out to uh, Naz and um, you know pass it on. Um, if you want to have a listen to our podcast, you can head to zerolimitspodcast.com uh, dot com, or you can head. Straight to Instagram and Facebook, same thing, Zero Limits Podcast. All on the link tree. Yeah, all yep. link tree, uh, which is uh, in our bio. You'll find that link. 
Um, also, just head to Spotify or Apple Podcast, Stitcher, and, uh, you know, do the search, Zillimus Podcast, and all oh, our yeah. previous episodes will pop up. We've had some crackers. Yeah. Um, and if you have someone out there, if you know of someone that you've served with, it uh, doesn't have to be Australian defence, could be overseas. Yeah, um, Zimbabwean. Um, that's it. Swahili Zulu warrior. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're, we'll be happy to chat to them, you know. Yeah, or um, US Space Force. We're, US actually, Space Force. Good. I was good. trying to track down a um, female US Navy chick, obviously she's a chick, uh, who's going to space, but she doesn't have the gram, so... Yeah, right. Cool story, Shane. (laughs) Uh, All right, guys. All right, guys. Appreciate it. it. Catch us. Wait, wait, wait. Now, quickly, just before you go, I want to tell you about Three Zeros Coffee. Now, as you know, I like my coffee how I like my men, long and black. (laughs) However, lately, I've moved into the cold brews. I'm loving it, obviously, because the weather here in Australia at the moment is quite hot. So what I've been doing is using the seasoned campaigner pour-over filter bags Literally rip open the packet, put the filter bag over my coffee mug, a few ice cubes, pour in some hot water, let it cool down, add a sugar or two just to make it sweet, and I fucking love them. Honestly, you get the kick that you need out of the caffeine, and the taste is great. So if you want to get yourself a supply of coffee, head over to 30scoffee.com.au. From there, you can choose whatever you want. You've got the beans, you've got the pour-over filter bags, got some merchandise, and just to let you know that – a percentage of their sales is forwarded to organisations that support first responders. So while you're getting your coffee, you're doing a good deed by getting some of this money to the first responders and where it needs to go. While you're there, don't forget to use the discount code 3ZLIMITS. Now look in our bio, you see that discount code, use it, get your discounts. So again, jump onto 30 and grab yourself a supply.